What a great time to be a Giant, be a fan of the Giants. Like we have something going here. We're building something special, and you know you can see it from the outside and inside. It's even more beautiful. Reflecting on everything that got me here, just to see that uniform, and you know I, I watched. That's the team I watched the most growing up. Cause my dad was a Giants fan. So once a Giant, always a Giant. For me, it's only a Giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by NorthJersey.com. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and this is our kickoff. We're kicking off season three of the All In with Art Stapleton podcast. It is training camp week, starting for the New York Giants, reporting on Tuesday. An unexpected news Tuesday morning at around 7 a.m. and change. Saquon Barkley in the building for the Giants. They come to an agreement on a one-year deal. We'll go through all the particulars in this open. And then we'll have our weekly guest, a training training camp preview, a comprehensive look at the Giants with Sean Morash of WFAN. Sean and I go way back. He has his podcast on Odyssey, A Giant Step. Obviously, now he is working with Tiki Barber and Evan Roberts in the Morning Drive show on WFAN. Sean and I did our interview yesterday, so had to do a little cutting and slicing and pasting back together with our interview. I'd say about 10 minutes were dedicated to Saquon Barkley and his contract situation before 7 a.m. on Tuesday. So if there are little hiccups in that interview, just bear with us. But I think there are a lot. There's a lot of great information between Sean and I, kind of dissecting the Giants offensively, defensively, big picture, and where things sit. So I hope you enjoy that interview. Uh, one thing I want to say is, I promised a couple weeks ago we are starting a Giants newsletter for all of my coverage on NorthJersey.com involving this podcast, uh, subscriptions. Anything you need from the Giants that I provide you, you can get from our weekly newsletter as well. Uh, That is almost set to launch, but we do have a link. So check on Twitter. I tweeted out a link this morning as to how you can sign up for the newsletter. It is free. You put in your email address and it's as simple as that. Uh, I believe we're aiming for every Friday, so it'll set you up for the weekend for games, maybe what you had missed during the week. We'll have links to the podcast uh, and all of my stories during that week. Some will be subscriptions, some won't. You'll just have to find a way to purchase a digital subscription and be a part of everything, but that will not preclude you from receiving our newsletter and... I'll give you more information about that later in the show. But right now, let's talk Saquon Barkley and the Giants. I'll give you everything I have regarding where their situation is. Well, their situation is this. Saquon Barkley is signed for the 2023 season. All along, we had talked about how the franchise tag value of $10.1 million was essentially a floor in the negotiations of a one-year deal once 
the franchise tag deadline passed on July 17th. So what does that mean? Well, once that tag deadline passed, the Giants and Saquon Barkley could no longer negotiate a long-term deal until 2024. But they could negotiate changes and alterations to the one-year deal that was essentially a placeholder for the franchise tag. And it's been a while since it was adjusted. I believe it was 2005 with Edron James. Now, I happen to be on Sirius XM NFL radio on Tuesday morning. And Bill Polian, the Colts executive who essentially evolved in that, uh, described it in the same sim- similar situation of what happened with Saquon and Edron James. So I thought that was very interesting. So you can, if you have Sirius, go back. Listen to the interview I did with Solomon Wilcots and Bill Polian. But essentially, the Giants could have altered this one-year deal. They could have made it whatever they wanted. They could have decided to give Saquon Barkley $20 million for 2023. Obviously, he would have run and signed that. But what they did instead was they put an incentive package in. Now, here's the important part of the incentive package. I'll give you the three incentives. 11 or more total rushing and receiving touchdowns, 65 or more receptions, 1,350 rushing yards. All three matching or very similar to what Saquon did last year. Okay? There's one caveat, and this is where it speaks to who Saquon Barkley is, but also speaks to how the Giants protected themselves. None of those incentives will trigger if the Giants don't make the playoffs. I'll say it again. None, zero, will trigger $300,000 each of those three incentives will trigger if the Giants aren't in the playoffs. Saquon Barkley obviously showed the belief in this team. He tied his individual success to the team. The team tied their team success to Barkley, but also knowing that it's not just a I'm going out there and getting for myself what I need to get as far as these incentives go. Now, remember, if this team goes in the toilet and tanks, unfortunately, the way every second year of every head coach since Tom Coughlin has for the Giants. Now, I don't anticipate that for Brian Dable, and I'm not about to let history put the kiss of death on his reign here with the Giants. But if we're talking in December and Saquon needs incentives, but the Giants are four and nine, then it's not going to matter. That it's not going to be a situation where Saquon's out there trying to get an extra touchdown to get $300,000 because the Giants aren't in the playoff hunt. That's the reality with this whole situation. Now, who Saquon is... Look, the reality here is that the Giants leveraged against who they know Saquon to be. That's the reality. I think they thought they would be able to use their leverage and get a deal a lot sooner. They did not. I think they pushed Saquon uh, pretty much as far as you can take it before you get a deal. And ultimately, you got to give Saquon Barkley credit now 
that he realized his situation. He was not about to stay away from this team. He loves some of these teammates. He believes in where they are. Look, Saquon Barkley was here for the worst of the worst that the Giants had to endure as a franchise. Now you're thinking about year two of Dable and Shane and all the guys that they've assembled in this locker room. The Giants knew it was going to be difficult for Barkley to stay away. Could he have? Sure, he could have stayed away, but he wouldn't have gained a penny. He only would have risked losing money. He goes out, trains, does his hill runs that he likes to do to get himself ready for the season. He gets hurt away from the facility. The Giants could pull the entire $10.1 million off the table if he's unsigned. That's no longer a situation because he's not going to be training away from the team. He's going to be training with the team. Now, the other caveat to this deal is that Saquon gets a signing bonus that's inclusive of the contract, of the $10.1 million that is the base value of the contract. Saquon gets a $2 million signing bonus today, Tuesday, as we're taping this. And... What does that do? Look, it allows him to have some money in the bank now, to have his signing bonus now. He doesn't have to worry about waiting until week one to get that money. Even though it would be guaranteed, it's not guaranteed until week one. Now he gets $2 million of that. There is no provision about the Giants putting the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley for next year. That's not in. There was speculation that maybe Barkley got the Giants to agree to say they're not going to do the franchise tag next year. Not happening. If they want to franchise tag him next year, they can. It's 120% of his deal this year. Now, from what I understand, if he achieves all of his incentives and he pushes that up to $11 million, give or take, 120% of that, plus the guarantees that he gets this year in $11 million, will push him to around $23.5, $24 total million guaranteed for the first two years of his contract, in theory. So it would be for the first two years, what would be the two years of an existing long-term deal. So that's how Saquon wins. That's threading a needle. You got to give Joe Shane a lot of credit for threading the needle on his part. When that deal, when that deadline passed on July 17th, he could have turned over and said, that's it. We're done. We're not going to deal with it. Saquon, you get here when you want to get here. It's $10.1 million, but he didn't. I had someone in the building tell me Joe Shane's not a quitter. And he pushed and pushed and pushed and listened. Saquon ended up giving in a little bit, but ended up coming in through the back door and giving himself an opportunity. He bet on himself. Is it the huge gains that he was hoping for, that the running backs in the NFL were hoping for? No. Will he be criticized for giving in? Probably. Probably a little bit. But at the end of the day, Saquon Barkley is in the building with the Giants, ready to go in year two of Brian Dable. That says a lot. Says a lot for how they've handled it and says a lot for Joe Shane and really Saquon Barkley when it came to it. Now, admittedly, the last thing on this, and then we'll get to my interview with Sean, is the fact that 
I understand that a lot of people will look at this and say, boy, why couldn't they have gotten this done a couple weeks ago? If Saquon was going to give in now, why wouldn't he give in last week to get this done? We'll have that opportunity to ask Saquon those questions. But ultimately, the Giants counted on Saquon being who Saquon is. He's a team player. When push came to shove, he couldn't be away from his team here. He knew it was going to hurt him in the long run, not just perception-wise, but inside the locker room. Even if it's one person who views Saquon Barkley differently, he doesn't deserve that. He's not going to look at that and say, that's the way I want to be perceived. So you knew it bothered him. And I think at this point in the game, Saquon bet on himself and Saquon bet on this team. Because like I said, if he achieves all of his individual accolades, but they don't win and get in the playoffs, he doesn't get them. That's a big statement about where they're at. All right, so that's my open. Let's get to my interview with Sean Marash. All right, it's time for the weekly guest, the first guest of season three of the All In with Art Stapleton podcast. And I go back a ways with this guy, and he's starting on his new journey. You're going to hear him every day starting at 2 p.m. on WFAN. He is the artist formerly known as Mraz. It's Sean Morash, host of One Giant Step podcast, and he is the third man in. I guess it's kind of like the Hulk Hogan uh, days, the third man in to the Evan and Tiki show on WFAN in New York, Sean Morash. What's up, buddy? I'm doing, I'm doing well, Art. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was given the third naming rights. Do you mind if your name's not on the show or basically telling me the name's like, no problem here. Not at all. I'm, I'm happy to be the, uh, the Hulk Hogan deal here. So what's going on, man? How are you? Well, we're getting ready for, uh, this is training camp number 13 for me, uh, for the giants. And, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting vibe with everything that's happened over the last, you know, week and a half with, with Saquon Barkley and his contract. So I figured who better to talk to than a passionate fan, but also a radio host and, you know, all around good guy, to uh, just kind of dissect the Giants a little bit, dive in, get a sense of what you are feeling going into training camp. So away we go. Let's start at the top. When you look at this team this year, what what gives you the most optimism that they are not going to have the fallback that I think a lot of people nationally are predicting that they will have in Dable year two? Well, everybody is going to point to like the offense, and I'm still very curious because the wide receiver, when we can get to a little bit, I guess, is, is very deep. But I, what gives me more confidence, I think this defense has the chance to be sneaky really, really, really good. They got off the field on third down last year, which was the biggest, biggest you know, reason they were successful. They didn't probably get as many turnovers as you would have hoped. But ultimately, while we might look at a glaring hole at the second safety spot next to Xavier McKinney, when I actually think it's kind of an exciting competition, uh, like you talked about, all the D-line depth they've added. Um, hopefully, we escape camp with Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau healthy. Remember, the Giants, what, had to play yep. their first two games at least without them last year? 
adding Bobby O'Kara came, and they haven't had a linebacker like that in a very, very long time with the sideline-to-sideline speed. Sure, second line, middle linebacker, that's, that's a question. Cornerback depth. I mean, last year, you're, you're crossing your fingers for Aaron Robinson. Now, I know rookie corners you know, take some time, but Deontay Banks has some real upside to play next to a Dory Jackson, and now suddenly you're looking at a room where you're like, okay, now Flott in his second year, Robinson another year healthy. Like, the cornerback depth seems a little stronger than last year, and just another year with everybody a little more comfortable with Wink Martindale's defense. I have a feeling this defense has the potential to be, like, one of the five best defenses in the NFC specifically. I think you're you're on to that. I think this defense is going to be better uh, in areas it struggled last year. I think part of the reason they struggled so much against the run was look at who they had on the field. I mean, the fact that they were so representative and they were able to make plays, big plays, in big games last year against Aaron Rodgers before he hurt the thumb, actually hurt the thumb against the Giants on that last play, O'Shane Zimenez. Yeah. Uh, really changed the trajectory. You think about it, you could almost make the argument that because of O'Shane Zimenez, Aaron Rodgers is a jet. <laughs> but, you know... Well, he finally did something in New York. Huh? Yeah. You know what? But they started last year with O'Shane Zimenez and uh, Jihad Ward as yeah. the, the guys on the outside, on the edge, because of Kayvon and Aziz and the injuries that they went through. I think you hit the nail on the head. That will change the complexion of this defense the two players that matter the most outside of Dexter Lawrence uh, to me and it could really raise this team to another level, this defense, obviously Kayvon Thibodeau, we know when, when he was at his best last year, he was unblockable. Uh, what he did against Washington, what he did on the final drive against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I mean, people look back at last season uh, and I watched the highlight. I don't know if you had a chance to see this. They, NFL Network did the NFL films, like the yearbooks, the the, yes. the half hour yearbooks, and I yes, watched it was four o'clock Sunday. Lined up right with the end of the Yankee game. I was there. <laughs> well, I didn't see the four o'clock one. I actually DVR'd it at midnight and watched it last night. Um, it was very good. But people forget that when they played the Packers in London and the Ravens at home at MetLife in back to back weeks. They would have been criticized tremendously if they got blown out by the Ravens because they didn't take their bye. They rolled that. They rolled that uh, dice and actually beat them both. That game, Kayvon sacking Lamar Jackson and forcing the fumble that ended that game essentially. Um, I guess my point about Kayvon is I think he's the kind of guy who can draw attention if it's possible away from Dexter Lawrence. Uh, he what? can Washington game. Remember, we, I mean, that was right. He was on the line. He, he literally single-handedly won the game. Yeah, that I mean, and that's a, a rookie. And you know what? When you watch the highlights, the play that they always show is the sack, fumble, and touchdown, which obviously was an unbelievable play early in the game. But the play that probably saved the game and put the Giants essentially in the playoffs because if they lose that game to Washington. They're, they don't control their destiny, and they don't get in the playoffs last year. I truly believe that. The play he made at the pylon, stopping uh, Heineke from getting into the end zone, he, and, you know, Kayvon was in coverage, came rushing up, nailed Heineke at the pylon, 
And then obviously we know what happened in the end zone and you can debate all you want about penalties or what have you. But Kayvon was tremendous that day. So I'll let you talk about Kayvon. But the other guy I wanted to mention was obviously uh, you mentioned him, uh, Tay Banks, Deontay Banks. If he is as good as advertised and he comes in and plays anywhere close to the level of a Sauce Gardner or a Tariq Woolen in, in Seattle last year as a rookie, this defense is going to take a huge step forward. Yeah, and, and Fabian Moreau did like a nice job, but you're talking about a guy with like this kind of high potential. And Deontay Banks wasn't an interception machine at Maryland, but you know he is going to get tested, especially when you have a Dory Jackson on the other side. That's where I think you know Deontay Banks might have a chance early in the season to have a couple of these interceptions that really just give him enormous confidence um, down the stretch. And, and I'll go one further. We didn't mention him. I mean, Art, when did the season begin to spiral in a negative way before it you know, got picked back up again late? It was when Xavier McKinney went down with the ATV accident. Yep. You know, Xavier McKinney is so important as a chess piece for Wink Martindale, and having him healthy all season long, you know, I love the job Julian loved it. I'm sure the Giants will miss him, but, I mean, we saw flat out how important Xavier McKinney is to the Giants and what a different season it looked like when he played and when, it, when he didn't play. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's no doubt. I mean, uh, and you mentioned, obviously, the spot next to Xavier McKinney, no Julian Love. Uh, you know, and I think the Julian Love situation is very interesting, not to break it down completely, but he wanted to be back here. There's no question. I mean, I talked to Julian uh, during the negotiating process, uh, and he wanted to be here. I mean, he, he got the offer from Seattle and called back to the Giants to see if they would match it. Uh, you know, but I think Joe Shane showed in that negotiation what kind of showed up later on and now through the Saquon negotiation is that the Giants aren't going to bluff. Like, Shane's not bluffing. He's not in a situation where he wants to bluff as a negotiator. And we didn't know how Joe Shane was going to be as a GM. But they set their price. They made their offer to Julian Love uh, during the bye week. Uh, and he wanted more money. And they, they turned down that deal. And Julian Love and his representatives, Drew Rosenhaus, they thought that number was going to come back. The Giants never went back to that number. Uh, and on the day that Love called back uh, to try to see if the Giants would match the offer from Seattle, which was lower than the original offer that the Giants made, Shane shook, essentially shook his hand over the phone and said, you know, we just made a commitment to Darius Slayton. He's coming back and, you know, we wish you well in Seattle. And now we'll see Julian Love in week four. But... My point is that spot is going to get a lot of attention, but the way Wink Martindale is going to play this defense, there are going to be a lot of guys week to week who get opportunities in this defense that I don't think we see coming uh, that we may look as integral parts of this defense. Uh, really, by the time the calendar flips to October, we're going to see guys like Jason Pinnock and Dane Belton uh, and Darian Beavers get opportunities that if they take advantage of them, they will really become entrenched and will start forgetting about guys that last year were big parts of this defense. Yeah, and they're so top heavy with all the guys that we mentioned anyway that some of those you can't have a star at every single position that I think those guys will only be better because of the guys they're playing around for sure. So let's flip to the offense. We talked that wide receiver room. Um, to me, it's very interesting. I have my takes on, on why they did what they did. You shoot, go from one to 15. What are your impressions? What do you like? Maybe what you don't like 
uh, as far as the wide receivers are, are concerned here with the Giants? Well, I mean, here's what I like. Depth. No doubt about it. I would be stunned if they broke camp and – Basically, nine of the you know the nine top guys were all healthy, and I think they understand that they want to protect themselves um, against these injuries. That being said, Darren Waller is different because he's the tight end, but I understand why he's suited. They still kind of lack a true number one, and I guess my question above everything else is: Darius Slayton might be the only guy in the Giants' wide receiver room, not named Jalen Hyatt. We'll see what happens with him. That could do what he does: line up on the outside, run some deep crosses. You know, spread the field, make speed a factor. So you assume he's definitely there. Isaiah Hodgins obviously kind of reminds you of like the older version of Tumor along the sidelines. But yep. the idea of how they're going to use all of these guys, like do they really view Paris Campbell as somebody who's going to play on the outside? And, you know, can they run offenses with Campbell, Wandell, uh, Shep, slash Beasley all on the field at the same time? Uh, I don't love the idea of shorter wide receivers, but it does make me think how unique this offense can be. But I think the million-dollar question above all of that, when you're trying to figure out who's going to make the team, who's not going to make the team, you know Jalen Hyatt is going to make the team. But what is Jalen Hyatt's role going to be? And is that something that, we, like we saw last year, just keeps evolving every week? Because I'm curious, not what Jalen Hyatt is in September, but what is Jalen Hyatt like in November and December? Because to me, he still has the highest ceiling of anybody in that wide receiver room on what he can do for the offense. Forget what he could do for himself. Definitely fair. I, I want to see how much Jalen Hyatt earns. You know, Dable made his, uh, you know, when all the coaches have their, their little lines. You know, Tom Coughlin was the green zone, not the red zone. You know, Dable's thing was it's not a depth chart. It's a rep chart in the in training camp. How many reps uh and we could talk about reps with, you know, the third team and you know, even though they're not third teamers specifically, we're gonna know. If Jalen Hyatt is running with Daniel Jones and the ones uh, midway through camp, the Giants have obviously seen a lot of growth and development in his game already, that he's gonna have, be a factor early on. Uh but like you said, you can't with this the way the roster is, and I do think it's still a little Top heavy, they do have more depth. You can't just carry J- Jalen Hyatt if he's not going to have any type of role either. So you don't want to go into weekends where you know your rookie third round wide receiver is being um, and he's inactive every week because he's not into that role. So it will be interesting. I think you nailed that. Uh, I personally, I know from everything I've been told the last week or so, it sure seems like Wandell Robinson is going to start the camp. Uh, on the physically unable to perform list. And I don't know about you, but again, this is another thing that drives me nuts. Just people don't get what the pup list is. And uh, essentially it's the player will come in, take his physical. And if he does not pass the physical and is not ready to practice, he goes on the pup list and he cannot practice with the team. He has to be with the training staff. Uh, I don't even know if he could participate in walkthroughs. I don't believe he can. So I think one Wanda- stuff on the side. I remember we saw that with Matt Peart early last year on the pub. Exactly, and you know because the teams now they don't do two days; they only do one practice. So they do a walkthrough in the morning. That player is not even allowed to be involved in the walkthrough. They can stand to the side and watch, but. Uh, so you're not stashing players on the pup list. That's what fans think, or some fans think, and even some in the media point to the pup list and say that. So Wandell, look, he tore his ACL and didn't have surgery until December last year. 
you're not putting Wandell into training camp, into rotations. There's no way he's going to pass that physical. Now, it doesn't mean he's not doing well physically, but he's just not ready. As far as Shep goes, I think... I think people are overlooking Sterling Shepard. And again, I get the injury history. I know he's had devastating injury after devastating injury the last two years. If Sterling Shepard is healthy, which I believe he will be, if he ends up on the pup list, it will only be for a short amount of time, I believe, from what I've been told. Sterling Shepard is going to be as valuable, as long as he's on the field, to this offense as any wide receiver they have. That includes Hodgins. It includes Campbell. I do believe that they will get a steal if Sterling Shepard plays a significant amount of games this year. Obviously, we'll have to see where he's at physically. Uh, But those two guys, (laughs) look, they are in your top six slash seven. But are they healthy enough? And that's the big question. And I think that's why they've done what they've done in the slot is that I think – Cole Beasley, you played for Brian Dable. You get. I had somebody joke with me last week that it, it was, you know, oh, you didn't realize Beasley was another one of Dable's children. Like that, that that's how close they are. I think Cole Beasley has a good opportunity here to show that he can play. I'm not sure where Jameson Crowder fits. Uh, I think he's just here as a camp body, and if the openings happen on the roster, well, then they're there. But. Uh, I think we we don't know what this position is going to look like a month from now, but you nailed it. It's about depth. It's about making sure that they're covered if they lose guys here because they remember what it was like the beginning of last season when they had nothing from Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney couldn't get on the field, and they're playing games, let's not forget, playing games with Marcus Johnson and David Sills as their primary guys in the passing game. People want to know why Daniel... Right. I mean, people want to know why Daniel Jones only threw 15 touchdowns. Well, go back and watch the games. Go watch who they had out at wide receiver. These guys are, you know, they're quadruple A players. I mean, they're guys who are valuable players on the practice squad that if in a pinch, you know, I know the fans get on David Sills because he gets a lot of it a lot of feedback and attention and Sills Army. You know, he he's he's a borderline NFL player. He's a he's a practice squad guy who's a great teammate, who guys love him, who will go out there and give you 150% in practice and those guys have a role on winning teams. But you're trotting him out there as your <laughs> as your ex receiver. Falling down versus Dallas at the end, causing the interception. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, he fell down and caused the interception, and that was also the play that that Shep blew his ACL out. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of one of those weird things where I'm excited to watch the wide receivers this summer because you know Dable's going to have a plan. You know that he's going to have guys in certain situations. We found out last year all the stuff about, you know, how they were calculated with Daniel Jones. And they essentially, I don't want to say they tipped off the defense, but they put the offense in bad situations to see how Daniel Jones would handle the situation. I think they're going to do that with the receivers this year. I really do. I think they realize how big the competition needs to be, how important it is. Uh, And I think... That's kind of where I'm looking at. The one guy that's going to get a lot of attention this summer, and you're going to be hearing it from callers, Sean, uh, on FAN when they start buzzing in about the Giants, 
Colin Johnson. Oh, Colin Johnson. I was gonna. I thought you were going to go Bryce Ford Wheaton on me. <clears throat> I'm so done with the Bryce Ford Wheaton stuff. <laughs> I, I do not get it. I don't understand it. Um, look, we saw, I think, five practices this spring. I like the profile of Bryce Ford Wheaton. I don't know why fans think. I mean, there are fans tweeting at me or xing at me now. I guess it's supposed to be that you know. Oh well, you know, Bryce Ford Wheaton uh, is taking Shep's spot. Like, what are you talking about? Like, Bryce Ford Wheaton, in order to make this roster, has to go Victor Cruz and above and beyond that. The way it happened, yeah. It, it's <laughs> if, what was the other receiver after Victor Cruz? Everybody thought was Victor Cruz. Well, you had you had Corey Washington. Corey Washington, that's who I was. Thinking. You also had Marcus Harris. Don't forget Sue Harris. Yes. And look, there's no disrespect to any of these guys who are fighting for a spot. We love them. That makes the best part of training camp stories. But the reality is, like Bryce Ford Wheaton. I mean, let's see if he could actually. And I tweeted this, and I didn't mean it in a negative way, but let's see if he could function in an NFL offense first before we're starting to. To give away, you know, roster spots. You know, people are saying, oh, well, you know, Bryce Ford Wheaton has to make this team. Why is Cole Beasley here? Like, are you kidding me? Like, if Bryce, if Cole Beasley is physically ready to play, he is a much more of a factor in this offense than a, an undrafted rookie has an opportunity to, to make this team. Yeah, no doubt about it. But you did lead in with Colin Johnson, which is interesting because last year, Remember, if it wasn't for his injury, there's thought Darius Slayton gets flat out cut, which is interesting that now Slayton gets the extension. Yep. So, and, and I remember last year also when the, this is very minuscule when the Giants came out with the uh, the throwback, you know, like the the blue whatever the blue uniforms instead of the white ones, the color rush ones. Um, I went on like Fanatics or whatever, and you went, to, you know, there's Thibodeau, there's jo- it was like six in was Colin Johnson. <laughs> I'm going, are we are we serious right now with the Colin? And then you started reading everything in camp that went in. So I am interested in him. Um, and you just mentioned that, obviously, we were going to hear a lot about him. But, you know, he looks like he should be the odd man out. But that's the one thing, man. Like, I wonder if we're going to get a surprise cut out of this wide receiver room because Colin Johnson's back healthy and clearly the staff liked him last year. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, he suffers the Achilles in practice. And it was on a, on the grass field, so it had nothing to do with MetLife and the turf, which is now – you know, that's going to be an underlying story this summer as well. I mean, once they get on the turf, in the new turf in the stadium, and uh, to see how players react to it, you're going to hear a lot about it. But, you know, they suffered some bad injuries in practice last year on grass. You know, Colin Johnson tore his Achilles. Uh, don't forget, oh, how can we forget? We mentioned Aziz at the top. I mean, Aziz hurt his calf in uh in running lines after the Jets joint practice. I mean, that's how, when he got hurt, he tweaked his calf. Um, you know, I think the, the other aspect of the wide receivers, and then we'll get to your, uh, you know, how, what you're thinking as far as overview, what you predict for the season. So get ready for that. Uh, but, but, um, you know, the practice squad, this, this administration showed that they liked using the practice squad for veterans who can be, call-ups on the weekends and have opportunities and work their way to the roster. So they certainly have a way of convincing guys 
to stay with this team, to be here. That has to do with Dable and not only the players that are involved, but the assistant coaches. You know, you want to play for Wink Martindale. You want to play for Mike Kafka, be in this offense. And the the position coaches are, are guys who have done a great job to this point. So a guy like Colin Johnson could end up being on the practice squad the first week. You know, I have this argument all the time. And again, as I mentioned at the top, this is my 13th training camp. So I'm a little bit of a veteran now. I kind of know what to look for, know what's the, what the deal is. I'm not always right, but I'm right a good part of the time in terms of getting a feel for what teams want to do. Guys that get cut on Labor Day weekend don't get claimed. They don't get claimed. Yes, there are waiver claims and we go crazy. And, you know, when the Giants roster was absolutely awful, the last, you know, the, the, through the last couple of regimes, they'd pick up like three or four or five guys from those waiver claims. Now, some guys fit, but most yeah. of those guys, yeah, you are not getting a team though that is going to all of a sudden claim, like I heard this, oh, well, you know, if they let Colin Johnson or Bryce Ford Wheaton go, like someone's picking them up. That's somebody who doesn't know the rules. When you claim a guy on Labor Day weekend, teams are getting rid of guys that spent a month and a half with them. Now all of a sudden you think that that player who didn't play much in the, in the summer overall is going to be put on their 53-man roster? I mean, it, it, right. it doesn't happen very often. So there are guys, I think, in this wide receiver competition, we could see four wide receivers, including a veteran or two. You know, who's to say Jamison Crowder has a better opportunity anywhere else besides here? So why right. wouldn't he sign? Elevated a couple times as a punt returner if he on game. Exactly. Why wouldn't he sign with the practice squad and say, you know what, I'm here, I'm practicing every week, and you know, look, maybe Wandell doesn't doesn't come off pup right right away, and they have to wait until October to have him back, and maybe Shep early on in the season isn't going as well as he had hoped, uh, and Beasley's not ready. You know, Jameson Crowder might be fourth on paper. But if he signs to the practice squad, plays his cards right, he could be the starting slot in, you know, week four against Seattle on Monday night. So it's kind of crazy. But, look, I promised I'd keep you to around 30 minutes. We've already hit that. I know you've got a big day today oh, with, with your debut. Oh. Um, but let, let's – I want to let you predict what you're expecting from this Giants team this year. What's Sean Marash feeling – uh, as the Giants enter year two of Brian Dable, coming off of uh, a very exciting at the end, well, maybe not the Eagles game, but the Vikings game, you know, 10 wins, playoff appearance. What's your prediction for the 2023-24 New York Giants? Well, remember, Art, they were a nine-win team because of the tie. So I actually think uh, this year you're going to see similar record-wise. I think they will finish 10-7. and seven. Um, but they will be a better team. And the one thing I will say is everybody keeps going, well, the schedule is hard. Look at this Giants schedule. It's harder, harder, harder. Well, hold on now. What, the reason the Giants made the playoffs last year is they did not trip up and lose to the bad teams. They used to be the team that the bad teams beat. They became the team that made sure they took care of the bad teams. Look right down the schedule. Rams late in the year. I don't think the Patriots are very good. I don't think the Raiders are very good. Uh, Washington with Wink Martindale versus Sam Howell twice. they got to win those games. That's five wins right to the Cardinals early in the year. That's six wins right there. I'm asking them to find four wins the rest of the schedule. Uh, I don't think that's a lot to ask. And, and look, the biggest thing, Art, 
they cannot go 0-4 versus the Cowboys and Eagles. And maybe the Eagles are a behemoth and they get swept again, so be it. Um, they got to beat Dallas one of those two times, and I think they will. Um, I think the Eagles will probably find a way to win at least 11 and win the division because I think they're that good. But I think the Giants will be right back there on wild card weekend, building building something here, 10-7. and 7. And then I think in 2024 is the year where they're finally ready to throw down a couple you know, bows with the Eagles. But I think 10-7, and 7, I think the team's going to be good. The team's going to be competitive. Way less head-scratching losses because I think the coach is that damn good, too. That's not going to allow them to have that. Uh, and they will find a way to 10 wins this year. Optimism. Optimism. I, I like it. I, I do think uh... – Year two is always tough to read. We've seen what's happened for year two with this franchise, going back to Ben McAdoo in 2017. And uh, Tom Coughlin is the last head coach that has survived year two with the New York Giants. So I, I, I don't crazy. think I don't think Brian Dable is in any danger of being in that territory, but it happened to Ben McAdoo. It happened to Pat Shermer. It happened to Joe Judge. Uh, and now here, Brian Dable's here. I think the Giants will be more patient. Uh, Go ahead. I, I just, I was just going to, because now, sorry, I'm spitting out everything with the schedule. Just one more thing. You're talking about the, the, the coaches and all of that. The one game that drove me nuts last year, Art, drove me nuts, was the loss in Seattle with the, with the muffed punts and everything else. That week four game, you get the Seahawks at home, a team you think is going to be right there with the Giants in terms of wild card. That, to me, early in the season will be a telltale sign of, uh, sign of this team. Go beat that team at home in prime time, and I think the Giants will be fine the rest of the way for a wild card. Yep, I, I agree. Uh, um, I think, uh, you know, they do have some opportunities this year to play those games, and I think people are going to give them uh, no chance to, relatively no chance to win uh, certain games. You know, at Buffalo on a Sunday night is a pretty crazy scene. Let's see where the Bills are at that point. And obviously the end of October uh, with the Yankees and Mets probably dead and buried by September, let alone late October. Jets, Giants uh, at MetLife will be uh, very, very interesting. Sean Morash, tell everyone where they can find you and uh, give me a, give me a little pitch on what to expect from Evan Tiki and in parentheses Sean and Lugie and the rest of the guys uh, over yeah. at FAN. Um, so for starters, obviously you can check out my Giants podcast through Odyssey, free on the Odyssey app and anywhere podcasts are available. It's called One Giant Step, uh, you know, weekly breakdown. Same like you get here with All In, uh, although All In is a way better show open than I do in my appearance. <laughs> like, well, I love that. Uh, but as far as the show starts, look, 2 o'clock, we are taping this Monday. So I'm, a, you know, what, 4, 5, whatever the heck hours away from uh, from starting 2 o'clock to 6.30-ish every single day on WFA. And the show is Evan and Tiki. I will be like your third host. You've seen that in some other shows um, in New York. So we won't name that maybe competition. But every day, you know, look, you're going to get your, your sports. I know people have complained a lot. Oh, you don't do sports on FA. No, there'll be plenty of sports. Believe me, me and Evan are basically polar opposites in terms of baseball teams, football teams, all of that. And if you're a Giant fan, why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this? You get Tiki Barber in the Ring of Honor and me, one of the fattest, craziest Giant fans, every single day throughout the football season. But even if Evan's a Jet fan, let him have Aaron Rodgers in the Jets. We're going to get plenty of Giant football on FA and Afternoon Drive, and I know that's been long overdue. Sean Morash, always a pleasure. Love coming on your podcast. I appreciate you returning the favor. And we'll be talking, man. We'll be seeing you this, this season, and I'll make sure I get you back on. Yeah, sounds good. I'll see you at camp soon, Art. All right, thanks again to Sean Morash. Talk about timing. We talk on Monday, and then Tuesday morning, Saquon changes the narrative in the morning. But I hope you enjoyed our 
our look at training camp. Check out Sean every day with Tiki and Evan Roberts on The Fan. I think you'll be surprised with Sean's personality. Might make you cringe a little bit, and I think Sean will admit that. But uh, he really is a good dude and and really a hardcore Giants fan, uh, and he knows his stuff. So I hope you enjoyed him, and we'll try to get him back on uh, later on in the season. Obviously, I've done his podcast on Odyssey as well. Uh, So that's where we're at. Wednesday morning, Joe Shane and Brian Dable, joint press conference around 9.15. Then the first practice of 2023 training camp is at 10 o'clock. Some predictions. I think Wondell Robinson starts on the physically unable to perform list. I think Saquon Saquon Barkley will be on the field. Uh, Sterling Shepard, from what, what I've heard, if he ends up on the pup list, it will only be for a short amount of time. Uh, he will come off pretty quickly if he does end up on the pup list at all. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, we will be there to cover it all from podcast to coverage, analysis, everything you want, everything you need from the New York Giants. I write from the heart, I call him like I see him, and I work on behalf of you, the fan, all from 1925 Giants Drive. So you can get my take on everything Big Blue sent to your inbox each day. Go to NorthJersey.com, sign up for all in with the New York Giants, a daily newsletter. Uh, a daily newsletter. It's the best way to stay on top of all the news, all my coverage, And we'll have more info on further links where you can get digital subscriptions and the like. But that's it. If you're all in, it's already begun. The 2023 season is kicking into high gear and Saquon Barkley is back in the building. Check you out later this week.